Health Matters with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from tonight's edition of Health Matters. Well, this evening we'll be focusing on your feet, and that's a rather broad topic, as you'll soon discover. And it's thanks to one of our listeners, Anne, in Hermanus, who asked me to do something on peripheral neuropathy. And that's a nerve pain associated with diabetes and also with multiple sclerosis. So as May is World Foot Health Month, I invited Sean Pincus to join me this evening, and he's the Western Cape branch chairperson of the Podiatry Association of South Africa. And just a reminder, before we begin that there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page Health Matters on SAFM or if you don't have access to Facebook you can email me at healthmatters at safm.co.za and I'll send you the list and you can choose what you like and then I'll send them to you. So, Sean, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good. Thanks for having me. If you have any questions about your feet, you can give us a call now on 0892 10 2010. Before we get down to your feet, let me just tell you that yesterday was Nurses Day. And if you've ever spent any time in a hospital or a clinic, you would know how hard these individuals work. It's often a thankless job with long hours and little rewards. So you really have to have a passion for looking after people who are too sick to care for themselves. And on the show next, we're going to be talking to Neo Kharoue, who she's a nurse, she's a former nurse, in fact, and she's general manager of the Polmed business unit at Metropolitan Health. Neo, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen. Good evening, so, listeners. So, Neo, what inspired you to become a nurse? Actually, my mom used to tell me that um, when I was three years old, I had meningitis and um, I was actually close to death. And I was rescued by healthcare workers and mainly nurses. Um, following that, a relative of mine encouraged me to go for nursing because um, I'm a caring person. I always look after everyone to make sure that they are okay, they're healthy, and um, they're good. What are some of the challenges that nurses and healthcare professionals face in this current healthcare system? Because I'm sure there must be many. There, there are many. Um, mainly the exodus of uh, nurses from the actual bedside nursing poses huge challenge. Following that, the, the working conditions of, of the nurses, long working hours, um, burden of disease, we have lifestyle conditions. So you actually have influx of sick people that requires or that need nursing care. Over and above that, you also have lack of resources, particularly in, in hospitals. Obviously, because of overcrowding, you, you don't have facilities to really look after people the way you would want to look after them. Now, after all of that, now, there must be some really fulfilling aspects of nursing. Clearly, there are many. I'm sure every nurse would agree with me that um, after seeing a sick patient walk through the ward and um, you nurse them, you take care of them, and you see them walking out of that ward, healthy, smiling at you, having recovered and um, fully taken their position, you feel proud and you feel fulfilled, having um, made, made sure that they are well again. Now, this is, you know, one of those professions, as, as I mentioned earlier, it's got to be somebody with a calling. You've got to have a passion for doing a job like this, because I don't think this kind of work is something you just think of as a job. It almost has to be a career and a calling. What advice would you give to aspiring nurses, young women who are thinking about entering the field? Clearly, you really have to be a loving person, you need to love people. You need to be a hard worker. If you are not friends with work, nursing is not part of things that you should do. But at the same time, nursing will, will teach you many things. You, 
you become a nurse, and when you are a nurse, you become an all-rounder. You end up knowing almost everything about life, about work, about any working environment you can be able to handle. All nurses that, uh, whether they are in bedside nursing or they are in formal employment, trust me, they can run those organizations to their best of their ability. Now, so as, as, a, as an aspiring person, please make sure that you are energetic, you are enthusiastic, but most of all, be passionate. If you don't have passion, you're not going to credit in nursing. How can young women take nursing up as a career? What do they need to do? Firstly, you need to check which institution you want to go to because there are two ways to go to. You either go for a diploma or you go for a degree. For a degree, you, you apply straight through a, um, a university. For a diploma, you apply through um, a hospital or any other nursing institution that provides um, the qualification. Now, there's many different aspects to nursing now. I mean, if I think about the nurses in the different units, I mean, you can be a midwife, you can work in theatre. There's a number of different aspects. So it's not just one particular field that you go into. It's nursing is one field, but there's a number of different aspects to that. Yes, yes, there, there are many. The current qualification that you can acquire is, is, is very broad. It's nursing in general, psychiatry, community, midwifery, and, and community. So uh, when you are when you acquire that qualification, you actually have a bit of all of them. So it's not like the previous qualification where you'd do a general nursing and you have to go back and do midwifery for a year and do community nursing for a year. The current qualification is very comprehensive. When you have it, you can actually deliver a baby. You can actually nurse a pediatric patient. You can also nurse a psychiatric patient. So there's a lot of scope for advancement and also for improving and, and moving around and learning a lot as a nurse. You don't have to just stay in one particular type of and nursing for your whole life. You can't because you cannot be a nurse that knows one specific aspect. As a nurse, you really have to be broad-minded. You need to understand the complexity of, of, of um, the biology of, of, and the pathophysiology. You need to understand everything about a human being. So there are other advanced courses that you can do, like ICU theatre, trauma, many different aspects to add on to the comprehensive medicine that you've done so that when you meet with a condition, you're actually able to deal with it. Because half the time, nurses in, 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 in tertiary institutions like your um, hospitals, which, uh, treat, which, which teaches doctors and other nurses, you find that doctor, uh, nurses are the ones who assist interns when they come into the ward. Remember, they only saw um, these things on a textbook. When they walked through a ward, they knew what a malaria patient is from a textbook point of view. But when they come to the ward, the nurses have been in the ward, they've nursed in malaria patients, and they can actually tell you that, yes, over and above the fever that you've read through your textbook, here is an actual patient with malaria. So if you do not understand comprehensively what any malaria patient looks like. You will not be able to teach a doctor who walks through the, the ward, or you won't even be able to teach your, your student nurses. Even nurses who are not necessarily at the bedside nursing, they still apply their knowledge within the fields that they are on, like nurses who are in the medical aid industry, like I am. I still apply the same knowledge that I have acquired when I have trained in the medical aid industry currently. No, well, thank you very much indeed for joining us and giving us a little bit of insight into this marvellous profession that you work in. Thank you very much indeed for your time this evening. Thank you so much.
That was Neo Khaoue, a former nurse and the general manager of the Palmed Business Unit at Metropolitan Health. And she was talking to us there about what it takes to be a nurse in South Africa. And of course, yesterday was Nurses Day and Metropolitan Health would like to say a big thank you to all of our hardworking nurses across the country for all that you do to keep your patients alive and kicking. Health Matters on SAFM. Right, well, just a reminder, you're listening to Health Matters on SAFM. I'm Karen Key, and this evening we're focusing on podiatry, the treatment of your feet. And my guest this evening is Sean Pincus, Western Cape Branch Chairperson of the Podiatry Association of South Africa. If you have any questions at all, you can call us now on 0892 10 2010 Sean, before we get into the questions and any further, I think we need to explain to the listeners exactly what a podiatrist is and what he does. Okay, well, very broadly put, a podiatrist is, or podiatry is a branch of medicine that deals with a foot in health and disease. So there are a few areas that we cover, but essentially you don't have to be sick to go to a podiatrist. You don't have to be referred by a GP to go to a podiatrist. You can go there by yourself. So consider the podiatrist your foot GP. So if you have any issues with your foot, be it a corn, callus, ingrown toenail, plantar wart, that's what was uh, our, our parents would remember as, as chiropody or chiropody. Mm. Okay, but podiatry has grown subsequently for over many, many years, and now we cover uh, chronic health management, and one of the biggest diseases that we manage, obviously, is diabetes, because diabetes has a dramatic effect on the foot. And then there's also biomechanics, understanding the role foot function plays in the body and leg length difference plays in the body and how those influence the body and how the body can influence the foot. So when you look at a, so going to a podiatrist, you're not getting your feet treated. You are being treated with a foot ailment. So it's a, it's a very broad, a, a broad profession. It's a branch of medicine. It's not seen as a branch of medicine, which is perhaps a, a bit of an issue. But uh, nevertheless, a podiatrist holds a four-year degree from the University of Johannesburg. We have to be registered with the Health Professions Council. So can you only study podiatry at the University of Johannesburg? Um, I'm going to shock you with a statement that um, there's only one institute in the African continent being University of Johannesburg. Good heavens, I didn't so know that. So there is only one place, unless I'm being corrected and there's another one open that I don't know about, there's only one institution in the continent of Africa. See, I was being very, very, very silly here thinking that everywhere there was a, a no. medicine where you could study medicine, you could no. study podiatry. Oh, so it's very specific. Uh, very, very specific. It's, okay. a, it's a small niche and I, that's why I say we're not necessarily uh, seen as a branch of medicine because we, we're so small. You know, there's only about 200 odd podiatrists in the whole country the majority of whom are in private health care because oh, state shocking. health doesn't really give us the correct placing that we should have. Uh, that's why I was saying to you, as I hope some members of the government are listening, <laughs> because so. podiatry mm. has a dramatic effect on the population, has a dramatic cost-saving benefit when you look at the population. A lot of our population are commuters wearing shoes that are not necessarily great and get foot problems and foot ailments and they don't know where to go. So they will self-treat and when I say self-treat, read self-mutilate. So they'll damage themselves and there's nowhere really for them to go. So foot problems cost the country a significant amount of money. You were telling me some horrendous statistics before we came on air this evening. They were American statistics, granted, but about, about diabetes and diabetic foot. I mean, that's just shocking. Okay, well, I'm going to give you two things. The first thing is that there's two areas of medicine that are absolute in terms of research. Most of it's open to speculation, but in terms of smoking, Whatever bad things you've heard about smoking, they're all true. It's not disputed in any medical literature. Smoking is bad for you. Simple, simple as that. 
The next area is diabetes. Now, no matter where in the world the studies are repeated, the results that come up are the same. And for the members of the public who are listening about diabetes, there's no such thing as being a little bit diabetic or I've got the better kind of diabetes. It's like being a little bit pregnant. It's not possible. 100%. Diabetes is diabetes. Um, Every seven seconds, somewhere in the world, somebody dies from diabetes. Every 20 seconds, somebody has a limb amputated because of diabetic foot complications. Now, those are horrendous statistics. awful. Diabetes around the world kills more people annually than HIV AIDS and the top four cancers combined. But yet... Why isn't there a bigger outcry then, Sean? Because people don't necessarily take diabetes seriously. Everybody knows somebody who was diabetic and I had a granny who had lost her foot because of diabetes. But I'm diabetic now, but I've got the lesser form. So it's a lot of ostriching putting your head in the sand and thinking it ain't going to happen to me. And I've got news for you. If you try fight diabetes, diabetes will win, and it's a cruel winner. You know, so you have to, people have to take diabetes seriously. Now, one of the things that's come up, and I'm going to give you a statistic, in America, diabetes costs the American healthcare system approximately $150 billion annually. But where podiatry services are introduced, for every $1 spend on podiatry, you get a $27 to $56 saving per patient. So that's why I was saying I hope somebody from the government is listening because if there were sufficient podiatrists in state health where we have large numbers of diabetic patients, the cost saving is dramatic. You know, you think of a South African scenario, you have somebody living in a township with diabetes. That person is a breadwinner. They lose their leg because of diabetes. The entire family structure becomes a ward of the state in terms of social grants. But if there was podiatric services available, that person, there's a 65% chance of them not losing their leg. So you're saving a significant amount of money. And that's just diabetes. That's just one aspect. That's just one aspect. I mean, there's lots of other things that you, I mean, that's just one thing. But that was the one thing that, as I said, we had a a listener who wanted us to talk about diabetes Mm. specifically. So I thought I'd start with that. Before we get on to that, we've got um, a call from Vic in Seapoint. Vic, good evening. Good evening to you. Hello, how can we help you, Vic? Please, my chat with uh, Sean. Certainly, he's right here. Okay, Sean, good evening. Evening, how are you? Um, Well, peripheral neuropathy-wise, I'm not so good. My ears pricked up when I heard that this is your subject this evening. I'll tell you my story as quickly as possible. For the past couple of years, I've had continually... Almost all day, sore feet, the soles of my feet, um, a little bit above, above my, uh, on the top part of my feet. I have, I'm not diabetic. The pulses in my legs, in my feet are strong. I've been to a GP who put me on Lyrica that hasn't mm. helped. I've been to a, a neurologist who diagnosed me with small fiber neuropathy mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and put me on Simgen, which didn't help. At the moment, I'm not taking any medication at all. My podiatrist, who's just down the road from you in Seapoint, um, 
uh, tells me there's nothing structurally wrong with my feet. I don't need orthotics. And that's my story. Nobody can tell me what's exactly wrong or, or do anything for me. Okay, so you've seen all the right people. You've seen a neurologist, you've seen a GP, you've got good blood flow to your feet. And unfortunately, in some people, you get what's called an idiopathic neuropathy. Idiopathic meaning from no known cause. So you've just developed a neuropathy that's affecting your feet. I'm going to ask you one question. Though. Do you have any problems with your colon, irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, anything yeah, like yes, that? Yes, I do. All right. Now, when you get those conditions, you can sometimes develop something known as, as um, oh, no, it's just, it's, it's, call this an age thing. Um, is it, it's a type of anemia. It'll come to me in two seconds. I need you to go to the doctor and ask him to check your blood. Okay. And what I want you to do as well is I want you to start looking at taking vitamin B complex. Because oh, when I you have... I forgot to mention yeah. that I went through a short course of, was it B12 or was it yes. just vitamin B? I'm not it's sure. Probably a vitamin B Injections complex. and tablets for a relatively short time, but as it was doing, I think I had two or three monthly injections and tablets, and it didn't do anything for me. Okay. Unfortunately, Vic, some people have neuropathy that doesn't come from any known cause, and if it doesn't come from a known cause... What do we treat? And you've been through the neurologist. There's Lyrica. There's another drug called Cymbalta that you could ask them to try. Uh, you've tried one or two others. And in some people, it just does not make a difference. And unfortunately, it sounds like you may be one of those. Would it still pay him to go off and have his blood tested? What, what was that for? Um, what do I have my blood checked for? Okay, you know, there's a word stuck in my head, believe it or not. Well, keep listening, Vic, because I'm hoping listen. it'll come to you. It'll him. come up later in the day. <laughs> okay. it's, it's a type of anemia. Um, and I've got another word coming out, mate, and I'm quite embarrassed that I can't think of it just off the top of my head. But it's a type of, um, a type of anemia that's caused by a decrease in vitamin B. And that can be a cause of, of, of a neuropathy. Okay, so you, I'm prepared to try vitamin B complex you need to have the injections complex the injections as well as the tablets regularly and then also just you know you're not diabetic keep checking yourself for the diabetes because diabetes often you need to have a, a formal check for diabetes and by formal i mean you need to have a blood test called an hba1c test as well as your, uh, um, your, your uh, glucose tolerance testing to make sure that you're not diabetic Okay, I've never had the HbA1c, but I have annually the fingerprint that's, check. That's not an accurate enough assessment. You need to have an HbA1c. Okay. You need to go and have that. that. That test will tell us more about your diabetes and about your blood sugar than a random glucose. A random glucose is a, is a shot in the dark. Fair enough. Okay, okay. that's usually around the, four, the late four point something. Yeah, but was that fasting? Yes. Now, what would it be after you've eaten? That's what we need to know. HbA1c gives me a, a three-month average of your blood sugars. It's much more informative to us. Okay, so I must have that after eating? No, you need no, to no. have HbA1c. You can have any time. You don't have to. It's not a fasting test. Go okay. and have an HbA1c and see what that is. If that's greater than seven, we need to manage you as a diabetic patient.
Thank you for that. It's a pleasure. And keep listening because we'll, we'll as come as up with I the anemia as well. Anemia. If you remember those words. Okay. It's irritating okay. me, but it's, I'll it's get some, it. It'll come up. It's some form of anemia, Vic, but um, Sean's going to come up with the second word of it, in, hopefully before the end of the show. If he doesn't, we'll, we've got your phone number and I will call you. Thank you so much. Okay, Vic. Thanks okay. for getting through. Good night right. to you. Bye. Bye-bye now. Bye. Right. Ivan in Cape Town. Good evening. Hello, Ivan. Oh, you listening and making notes? Yes, there we are. We here. Hello. Okay, age seventy-three. Weight, I'm about sixty-two kilos, and height in old language. Ivan. Oh no, we seem to have lost Ivan. Hello. Oh, there you are. Hello, you're back. You disappeared for a minute. You're back now. Are you back now? Yes, we're back. Okay, I repeat. We got the weight. We got the the height. Oh, the the age, the weight. We didn't. We missed the height. About five foot nine. Okay. Um, I'm also a sport coach. I coach badminton. I can see you fit. Yep. Um, When I sit for half an hour, um, I get up and my left foot doesn't work. In other words, I've got to walk for uh, a couple of meters. Sometimes I'm like if I sit on a train for half an hour, I've got to walk for about maybe 100, 200 meters before my left foot seems to click in position and then off it goes and it's no problem. And I can't run because of this left foot um, not working properly. That's my, my definition of it. Can you give some help? Okay. When you say your left foot doesn't work, yeah. especially after sitting, as you stand up, is there pain in your foot? That's right. Where's the pain? Oh, Under your heel, in your arch? Uh, I would say the arch, yes. Okay. So what we, and what happens when you get out of bed in the morning? Mostly... Mostly it's okay, but sometimes it can be a bit sore, but most times it's okay. So it's generally worse toward the end of the day? Um, I would say yes, yeah. Okay. Um, the, the first thing that comes to mind is something called plantar fasciitis, although it's not typical that you don't get pain when you wake up, when you wake up in the morning. Mm. Um, what I would want you to do is I would obviously want you to go and see a podiatrist because that needs to be examined. You need to see exactly what's going on. It can be, when you say your left foot doesn't work, it can be that you've got some nerve entrapment in your lower back or in your, 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 your lower part, through into your leg mm-hmm. on that side. It can be a nerve-related issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more than likely, it sounds like it's a plantar fasciitis. That's what it sounds like, or a tendonitis. The thing that irrit- that's concerning me is when you say your foot needs to click into position. Yo, you know, after, say, say I've, come from the train from Cape Town to where we stay in Southfield and I get off the train I've got to hobble for for about um, some some distance maybe 100 200 meters before I can walk properly and then it's fine it you know I don't feel a thing afterwards and it's it's yeah. uh, it's just like normal you know, there could be a bit of arthritis in your foot as well yep you know you, you're 60 you, you're 73 years young so <laughs> you, you could you could have a bit of arthritis. You'd need to see a podiatrist and have it assessed and get 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 it looked at. You may need an X-ray. You may need one or two other tests. But realistically, you need to get a diagnosis as, well, as to what's wrong with your foot. And mm. from diagnosis, we can base a treatment. Okay. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Thanks, Ivan. Good night to you. Bye-bye. Now, just following on a little bit from what Ivan was talking about, you mentioned about the back and everything else, Mm. and that was one thing I wanted to chat with you about, is I don't think people realize that your feet could be possibly the cause of your back problems. 100%. There's a song, Foot Bone Connected. Yeah, that thing, yes. And it's 100% true. You know, when you look at biomechanics of the body, we talk about closed kinetic chain and open kinetic chain. And open kinetic chain means movements are isolated and not necessarily while you're weight-bearing. 
closed kinetic chain, when you're standing and you're weight-bearing, the movement of your foot will influence the movement of your lower leg, which goes through to your knee, to your thigh, through into your pelvis, into your lower back and up your spine. So foot problems, in other words, feet not functioning correctly on one side or on both sides, people have a difference in leg length, one leg being longer than another, and that can be a structural difference or a functional difference. Those are all things that can be causes of back pain. So a lot of people will be lifelong sufferers of back pain and they go to physios and chiropractors and get treated and treated and they're on anti-inflammatories and all sorts of things and they have x-rays and the doctor will say, but there's nothing wrong with your back. It's just a muscle spasm. In podiatry, I always we talk about cause and effect. Podiatrist's job in those instances is identifying cause. We don't treat the effect. We treat the effect by identifying the cause and the cause is often mechanics of your foot or leg length difference having an influence in your lower back. So how do we manage that? We manage it by putting orthotics with, in, into your shoes to correct foot function, possibly a raise on the shorter side, and then working in conjunction with the physiotherapist and the chiropractor to get rid of the, the effects of the pain, and then hopefully a biokineticist to strengthen you up, because you have to have a holistic management. And back pain is... I'm sure you've had shows on back pain. Yes. It's a significant... It's very debilitating. It's debilitating. It's a, a huge loss of income in South Africa due to absenteeism. And in many cases, it's, it's easily managed and looked after. So it's not just you think about your foot. It's not your foot is... You've got to look at it as a whole thing. Your foot is possibly causing other problems that's it, that's that what I you're said looking, running around looking for help and they're not finding anything. Okay. That's what I said to you earlier. Mm. A podiatrist looks at the body holistically. Although we're only managing the foot, the foot is connected to people, to a person with two feet. And you Absolutely. have to look at the whole body holistically. We're only working at the foot level, but the foot can have a significant effect on the whole body. Just a reminder, you're listening to Health Matters on SAFM. I'm Karen Key, and this evening we're focusing on podiatry, the treatment of your feet. And my guest is Sean Pinkers, his Western Cape branch chairperson of the Podiatry Association of South Africa. If you have any questions, you can call us on 0892-102010. Fiona in Grahamstown, good evening. Good evening, Karen. Um, I've got a question for Sean, please. Sure, he's right here. Um, I, I've, I had gout a couple of years ago, and um, since then my feet burn almost all the time. Um, it's quite, it's quite, it actually keeps me awake at night even, and, and I find it uncomfortable to wear anything on, on, on my feet that isn't very loose or open. Do your feet burn all day or only at night? Um, on and off. But but last night was particularly bad. I, I actually couldn't sleep because of it. Okay. Um, sometimes it seems to it seems worse than others. I think when I've got uh, shoes and socks on and that sort of thing, it seems to be worse. Okay. How old are you? Uh, 50, 58. Okay. Uh, have you any history in the family of peripheral arterial disease or heart disease? Um, no, 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 okay. no, actually... We don't. Because... I, I, I do have rheumatoid arthritis. Okay. All right. So the first thing I want to say is when you've got the gout, I don't think has got anything to do with your burning feet. Okay. I think that was a once-off. It was an incident. It came and went. It yeah. hasn't bothered you. Because remember, gout is going to be an arthritis in a joint. Burning feet can be an absolute nightmare yeah. to try and diagnose. And you can spend uh. vast amounts of money going to see that. what's going on and why you've got burning feet. 
Oh. And at the end, you can come. It, it was like Vic earlier, where you there's yes. just no diagnosis. You've just got burning feet. But the oh. important things that I want you to tick off is I want you to get your circulation checked. Mm. I want you to get your nerves checked, as in in your feet, feet and your lower back, because burning feet can come from a lack of circulation or lack of sensation or nerve disease or nerve damage or nerve entrapment. Oh, I've got I have got a back problem, scoliosis. Okay. So those can be causes of the burning feet. And okay. then also the rheumatoid arthritis, what are you being treated with? I'm not taking anything. That can be another cause of the burning feet. So you need to mm. take all of those into account and manage yourself. You need to get good sound management from, I would say, a rheumatologist, given that you have rheumatoid arthritis, and let the rheumatologist guide you as to what you're going to do, because that's probably where you're going to find the best, uh, the best uh, diagnosis for your burning feet. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Thanks, Bye-bye. Fiona. Good night to you. Um, we've had a call earlier from Anne in Hermanus, whose idea it was, by the way, to to do this program. So, Anne, we're tr- battling to get back to you. So, if you're listening, please, I don't know if your phone is off the hook or what the problem is, but we're not being able to get back to you. You did call in earlier. So, if you could hang up your phone, we are trying to get hold of you. Sean, I just wanted to ask you about, now that's coming out, that, I mean, literally, your feet are connected to everything. Mm. Um, is this something we should, almost like we go for an annual doctor's checkup, should we be going often for an annual podiatry checkup? Okay, you go to the dentist twice a year, yeah. you go to the woman, go to the gynecologist, you go to the physician, you go to the GP, you go to the optometrist. No one's going to the podiatrist. Well, one. I do. And everybody has two feet. And you only get one pair. Yeah, Why not go to the podiatrist once a year? If, even if there's nothing wrong, just go get your feet checked. Very often when a patient comes in and sits down at the podiatrist, you, you're not just treating their feet. Even if it's for something simple, you've got, you know, Granny Mabel and she's there for you to cut her toenails. As you're treating that patient, you're feeling pulses, you're feeling the blood flow into the foot, feeling the temperature of the foot, looking at the patient in terms of their general overall health. And you'll be surprised how often a podiatrist will pick up things and refer a patient for other medical conditions totally unrelated to podiatry. So it's not a bad thing to go and see the podiatrist at least once a year, even if you're healthy. And it's a pain-free experience. pain-free experience. And even children, you know, children get a whole lot of assessments and things. At the age of between three and five, take them for the first assessment on their feet and see what's going on. There's lots of pediatric issues that come up in kids where there are small things that can be picked up and corrected early on and make a significant change to that child as they grow older. Well, as I mentioned earlier, it's World Foot Health Month, and I think the the, the theme this year is skin and skin nails. Skin and nails, yes. So you're looking at those are the things you're focusing on this particular time this month. Well, that's what we're trying to highlight. Um, you, you know, skin and nail conditions are probably the things that present to the podiatrist the most. You know, every single podiatrist around the world, you know, will be treating nail conditions and corns and calluses on a daily basis, and corns and calluses can be severely debilitating and painful. You always remember Granny back in the day with all those terrible corns and things. And, uh, you know, it was always a thing you thought of Granny had. But, you know, you, we're all getting older. We could end up there, too, if we Everybody don't go Everybody gets to be out. Granny and Grandpa yes, some stage in their life. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so let's sort it out before we get yeah. get to that point. Beatrice in Kempton Park, good evening. Good evening to you. Hello. How can we Hi, help Joe. you, Beatrice? Hello. Sean, I actually visited your consultant's room whilst I was in Cape Town after two oceans. Oh, yes. How are you? Okay. Very well, and you? Good, thanks. I just got excited listening to the program <laughs> and thought I must just talk to you about it because 
Once again, I'm Mirana, and I'm preparing for comrades, and the blisters are persisting. The so, blisters are persisting? Yes. Okay, will you give me a shout at my rooms tomorrow? I'm going to have to get you to go and see one of my colleagues in Joburg just to follow up on that. Okay, will do. Give you got, you've tomorrow. got the number, Beatrice. Yes, I do. You do, because I can't give it out over the air, I'm afraid, but I was going to ask my no producer problem. to give it to you, but you do have it. That's good. Okay. No problem. Okay, okay thanks. we'll do. Thanks, Beatrice. Okay. Bye-bye now. Okay, sure. Bye. Bye-bye. And just for those listening, if you're looking to find a podiatrist in your area, there is a phone number you can call. It's a general number for the Podiatry Association of South Africa. It's 86 0100249 and the website is amazing it's www.podiatry.co.za and that's p o d i a t r y podiatry.co.za and one of the fa- fabulous things they've got on that website you can find a podiatrist in your area you click on there's a link right on the front page you click on that and it tells you where all the podiatrists are around the country and you can find one i'm sure quite close to where you are right Anne in a minus good evening bless you thank you so much for for having this program yes i did phone in and ask if you wouldn't yes you did and i, yeah, I take my listeners requests very seriously will, Anne, you, so. will you take gravis seriously too sorry will you take gravis, Gra- gravis. oh gravis yes I'll, I'll make a note of that bless you thank right, you very okay much. you want to talk to sean yes please about 15 years ago i developed very painful feet the balls of my feet I saw a podiatrist, and he said it was due to um, I have very high arch, arch mm-hmm. feet. And so he made some supports, which I had to wear with sort of like Nikes, and had to tie them very tight. He said he didn't want my feet to move around in them. And I wore them for about six years, and it improved. It did. And then after about six years, it got worse. It just came back full on, and he said, try Crocs, and I was amazed. So he said, buy them as slippers, and I did, and I've been wearing Crocs for about six years now. Um, and then I still had the pain, but it, it, it was just so bad, somebody said, see a neurologist. Saw a neurologist, and he said, you've got diabetes. And I went, my question basically is, should the podiatrist have picked up that I might have had diabetes 15 years ago? Um, it, it's not necessarily you know, not necessary that you're going to check for diabetes in every single patient, and it depends how you present it to him. So it's very difficult for me to comment on a consult that you had 15 years ago and then six years ago. Mm. But uh, in the light of the fact that you're getting increasing pain, it's something that you, 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 you could want to tick off or, or check up on. Did you describe any of the others? Did you have any of the other symptoms of diabetes? Um, Apart from the sore feet? Because he was obviously looking at it from a, in a mechanical point of oh view. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not putting him down at all. Yeah. I'm just sort of like curious. I, you know, I, I, he's very good. He's very good. He's in Cape Town. Yeah. You know, and it, um, I was just amazed when I went to the neurologist and he checked my feet and uh, did a blood test, whatever. And he said, you've got diabetes. Mm, yeah, now, it's, it's possibly something that should have been checked. And the thing that probably blunted him was when he saw you 15 years ago, he made you a pair of orthotics and your pain vanished for six years and then mm. came back. So he was still looking at you, call it colored through that lens. And when you went to the neurologist, he looked at you through a totally different lens and looked at you from a different point of view. Okay. 
Okay, so, but I didn't initially have mm, diabetes 15 years ago. Not necessarily. That's what I wanted to know. Okay. And the other thing is um, my legs are numb about a third way up below the knee. Yeah. So from my feet sort of like a third of my leg. Mm. How serious is that? Is it the the comp? You know, the, everything everything in your leg numb, um, or the areas where you have sensation. Areas. So areas. areas from from my feet, yeah, my feet, and then starting from my ankle up about a third up up my leg. Okay, because you get what's called a mononeuropathy or polyneuropathy. So polyneuropathy means more than one nerve. Mononeuropathy is obviously only one nerve. It sounds like you've got a, a polyneuropathy. The important thing for you is to maintain your blood sugar control as close as possible. Oh, I do. Oh, I do. Okay, because that's the, the that's the part where you know when your blood sugars are out of control, that's when the nerve damage is taking place. But unfortunately, no, I'm down to four point six now. I'm thrilled. Okay, what's your HbA one C? That's the three month average test. I don't know. That's an important test. Okay. If I can say this to all diabetic patients listening. The HbA1c is the most important blood test you have because it gives us a full indication as to what's going on in a global sense. A, a, a random glucose in the morning when you wake up and an hour after eating, those are spot checks that you need to be doing regularly. Yes, but do. your HbA1c is the average, a three-month average, and it gives us a lot more information about what how, the average how do check I go is. About that? How do I it's know? a simple blood test. Just go ask your GP, say, please, can you do an HbA1c? And it should be ideally below 7, preferably closer to 5. But if it's beyond 7, it means that your blood sugars are usually going to be out of control for more often than you think they're in okay, control. Okay, so the fact that when I, I do a blood test and it's 4.6, yeah. that's... that's that's like, you know, it's literally, it's a, it's a spot on the landscape. The HbA1c shows me the whole landscape. HbA1c. Okay. And the, the pain up my legs? If your blood sugars are, say, so start with that HbA1c test. So if that HbA1c is elevated beyond 7, you want to work to get it back down to below 7, and that may have an indication that your legs may improve. And I'm how, would I work, how, how would I work? By watching your nutrition and oh, possibly do, altering your medication. I do. I've do. lost 25 pounds. Yeah, also altering your medication. That's why you need to work with a doctor who understands diabetes well. So your okay. HbA1c is the, is the start point of all of this. If everything's well-controlled, unfortunately, even well-controlled diabetics sometimes do get neuropathies, okay. and there's very little you can do to reverse it. Oh and can it get worse? It can. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Sean Sorry, is a harbinger of doom here this I'm, evening, but I'm, I think I'm it's for a good cause. I'm as blunt as you can get. <laughs> HbA1c. That's, That's right. what I want you to go for. Get that test. Okay. Bless you. Good Pleasure. luck, Anne. And, and 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 thank you so much. And don't forget about the gravis. No, I've got. I made a note. Thanks for time. Okay, thanks, okay. Anne. Good night, you. Good night. Bye bye. We've had a call, Sean. Is that what you were trying to remember? Pernicious anemia. Oh, thank you. Who was that? I don't know. Some, somebody called in and yeah. said, "Was that what Sean was trying to remember?" That word's been stuck in my brain, <laughs> and I've been going peripheral and pleomorphic, and knowing that's completely wrong. It's pernicious anemia. Thank you to whoever has put me out of my misery tonight. Some very bright caller out there phoned Thank in and you said, "Is so that what much. you were trying to remember?" There Vic, you go. It's pernicious anemia. Right, pernicious anemia. 
right back there you go and thanks to the listener that didn't leave a name but thank you very much whoever you were thank who you. called you in for that right wrecking my brain sir for the last <laughs> half hour right miss bukanti in durban good evening good evening ma'am hello and how can we the doctor how can we help you ma'am i have a 24 year old son my younger son he is complaining every day about his feet the heel from the arch to the heel yeah he stands for more than 12 hours at work. Every day I got to massage it when he comes from work and, uh, you know, soothe it. Okay, this it sounds very, very easy to fix. You're going yes. to go to the website, podiatrist.co.za. You're yes. going to send him to one of my very clever colleagues in, Dur- in, 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 in Durban. He needs yes. a pair of orthotics in his shoes. It sounds as simple as that. Yes, because I found the podiatrist, uh, podiatrist in Kensington. Excellent. Go see them. He more than likely needs to have orthotics placed inside of his shoe. Because he's standing all day, the arch structures, the, the muscles and the tendons and the ligaments and the sole of his feet are just overworking. And by the end of the day, his feet are sore. And what oh. he needs is he needs something inside of his shoes to help correct the way force enters the foot and to support the foot. And a lot of that pain should disappear. Does it need to wear a proper shoe? And orthotics need to be placed inside appropriate shoes, but the podiatrist that he sees will advise him on footwear as well. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. It's as simple as that one. That's very, very easy to fix. Thank you. Thanks for getting through to you. Good night, you. ZD and KZN, good evening. Good evening to you, Karen, and your guest as well. Uh, Karen, I just want to know, why are we not educated about the hyperbaric therapy, you know, that would save people's legs from being amputated? Uh, this, was, uh, this was a cutting that I, I've got with me for, for the past couple of years, from 2001. It's on the World Diabetes Day, yeah. uh, and it's from the Sunday Times, KZN, right? And it gives you the whole article about the hyperbaric therapy, is also known as the oxygen therapy. Mm. Because I remember listening to Nolene, uh, Nolene from Three Talk, her show, and uh, uh, the doctor said to the lady, you'll have to have your legs amputated. But now if you've got the oxygen therapy that can help prevent your legs from being amputated, uh, why not use the therapy? It's a little bit expensive, but I mean, why not use it for those who can afford it instead of amputating mm. your feet or your leg? Okay, so hyperbaric oxygen therapy is one of the modalities used to assist people with diabetic, or not just diabetic ulceration, but with chronic ulceration, chronic wounds in their feet. But the precursor to that is you have to have adequate blood flow into the foot. So you need to be, again, when we look at diabetes management and management of the foot, it's a team approach. It's not one person out there. So... In, in what we talk about is something called toe and flow, where the podiatrist and the vascular surgeon work very, very closely together, your general surgeons work closely together, and you need to make sure that there's adequate blood flow into the foot, because even if you are going into a hyperbaric chamber, but the blood flow into the foot isn't adequate, you're not necessarily going to get, get a good result. But one of the reasons hyperbaric isn't used often is because it's very expensive. All right, thank you. Okay, but Thanks. it is a very good therapy where, you know, where it's appropriate. 
Thank you. You know why? Because this lady was looking, uh, she, she, she uh, nearly have all the doctors advise this lady who advertised in this place to have her feet amputated. She's formerly from Chatsworth. Mm. And her daughter didn't want her feet, she's a mother of four children, and her daughter did not want her feet to be amputated and she was looking for somebody who could save her feet. And she and this is the only therapy that saved her feet. No, it does work. It, it, it really does work, but it's, it's expensive, which is why it's not a first-line therapy. And there's also not that many hyperbaric chambers available. Yeah, no, there is one in the in St. Augustine's Hospital in Durban. Yeah, St. Augustine's have one, yeah. But there's, there's, there's not that many available in the country, which is crazy. Yeah, there's not very many available. You are right on that. There's just one, I think, in the whole of Natal. Yeah, I could say right. it's, it's at, uh, you know, at the hospital at St. Augustine's. Yeah. But if those who can afford it save their feet, advise them to go for that therapy. Absolutely. You're 100% you know? right. Oh, thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks, Eddie. Good evening. Good night welcome. to you. Bye-bye. Bye. People wondering what a hyperbaric uh, chamber is. It's normally what you, we used to see in the old days. If divers went down too mm, deep and they'd come up with the bends, exactly they'd put them that. in that. That's pretty much what it is. Same therapy where mm. you, 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 you use, you're you perfusing oxygen at a gra- at, at, at an incre- at, under increased pressure. Mm. So the body gets hyper-oxygenated and that oxygen assists with, with wound healing. But the important thing is there's got to be adequate blood flow to the wound area. So it's not just for everybody that has it. It's not just for You've everybody. got to be at a specific stage yeah. of the it, condition. It, yeah. a therapy that does work in some people. Right. Ivory and Kimberly, good evening. Uh, greetings, Rena. Greetings, uh, greetings, Sean. That's right. Evening. Yeah. Uh, my question is just about uh, five years back, I started working for this company. Now, this company, they left me with this injury underneath my foot. Uh, other man which I work with, he said something like a corn. So I do not know actually what the corn is. Now, this thing is growing now. Usually I take a blade, cut it off, only to lose tension uh, uh, of the body, of my weight, of my body. When I stand the tension, it's heavy. So I use a blade to cut it. So I only want to quest if it is becoming dangerous because three months back, I used to walk bare feet. Now, my feet, uh, I used to get the cracks in mm. things now. I, then I... I started to wear shoes again, close it up with socks, and use that uh, uh, backdrop and something. Okay. Now I, I see it is big. it is healing actually, but the thing is the one underneath my foot, underneath uh, my small toe here, something okay. like, uh, which is growing. Right. I can't even stand now, it is, I don't know. Okay. Ivory, you made Sean. Sean looked very, very, very sad when you said you were cutting your foot with a blade. Okay. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, it, it is the only way which I can I can no. stop the pain. No, but I just wait, 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 wait. Okay, Ava, you've heard of the Ten Commandments. Yeah. <laughs> the Eleventh Commandment says, do, "Thou shalt not get caught." The Twelfth Commandment is, "Do not be a bathroom surgeon." <laughs> okay, so I want you to stop treating yourself with a blade. Uh, I think there is a podiatrist in Kimberley. I'm not necessarily sure, but if you phone the Podiatry Association, I'll let you know. You need to please get yourself to a podiatrist and have that thing managed properly. Stop treating yourself with a blade. You're going to injure yourself. You're going to get a bad infection. You need to work with sterile instruments, sterile equipment, and take that corn out properly, possibly putting an insert or an orthotic into your shoe to take the pressure off that area. Please stop treating yourself with with, with a razor blade. It's just all too often, and I know every single podiatrist, if they're listening, would have cringed at exactly the same point. We see this so often where people treat themselves or they use, they go to the pharmacy and they buy you know, over-the-counter acid remedies to take off corns and calluses. 
they cause havoc. Okay. I used to use a, a croco. Oh, throw that in the bin. The croaker and the razor, razor blade, throw it in the deepest part of the dustbin yeah, that you can't yeah. get it back. You're <laughs> just work. hurting yourself. It's, yeah. And okay. I, I shall... I shall Please look, look, look on the website and see if there's a podiatrist in Kimberley. To the best of my knowledge, there is. Yes, I if not Kimberley, the, the closest area that you can get, get yourself to a podiatrist and get it managed properly. I give thanks, Sean. Pleasure. Okay. I'm going to give out the phone number and the website again shortly, and then just if everybody wants to take that down, just make a note of that. And as I said, on the website, there is a list of the podiatrists around the country, and you can find one nearest to you. And there's also a number, which I'll give out in a moment as well. Um, you mentioned... Okay, Ivory, to keep listening and get your pen and paper ready, okay? All right. Okay, thanks for getting through to us. All right. Thanks. Good night to you. Okay. Bye-bye. That is one of the worst things. As you said, the bathroom surgery, your face when you, know, you said that. This is, it's I, horrendous. I promise you, podiatrists see this all the time. People want to self-treat. People don't want to spend money going to a podiatrist because it's not the cheapest exercise. It's not that expensive, but it's not that cheap. So what do they do? They go to the pharmacy and they buy over-the-counter acid remedies or corn remover creams or they take razor blades or pocket knives or scissors or wire cutters, all sorts of things to their feet. And they create a bigger problem than they've got in the first place. So it becomes, you know, you know, it's a uh, pennywise pound cycle, foolish. basically, as well, because you just and that that, that self treatment just causes problems. If it was up to me, all of those things would have a serious health warning when they're sold from pharmacies. I wish pharmacists would not sell those things. All they should be doing is saying, "You've got a corn, go to the podiatrist." Simple as that. And it sounds like it's. You know, I, I, I did a lecture, it's a long lecture called It's Just a Corn. But the, the ramifications of It's Just a Corn, it's a simple skin lesion that can cause significant pain. I mean, here's Ivor, he can hardly stand anymore from It's Just a Corn. And he's trying to treat it himself because he doesn't know where to go. And because he doesn't know where to go, he's gone down this dreaded cycle of getting worse and worse and worse. And I'll finish with, with, with a story when I was in third year. Uh, I was ready to chuck up podiatry. I didn't think it was a great profession and I wasn't going to carry on with it. And myself and a colleague, uh, well, the fourth years, the third year students did a, a clinic in Ennerdale in, in Joburg. And this little old woman came in on crutches. She could hardly walk. And she just had two big corns in her feet. That's all that was wrong with her. But she couldn't stand on her feet. And I treated the one foot and a colleague of mine who's now in Australia treated the other foot. And at the end of the day, she threw her crutches away and walked out of the room. So, How rewarding was that? Yeah, so that was, for me, it was probably the most rewarding thing I'd, I'd ever seen. And it, it's an indication of how powerful podiatry is as a profession with a very simple therapy. You know, skilled hand taking out a corn with a scalpel. You can literally change somebody's life. So people don't now, just hang on. Before you, yeah. you said you can do it with a scalpel but that's because you are a podiatrist those okay. listening does not mean to say that you can go and do that 100% the reason is I can sit facing the sole of your foot you can't sit facing the sole of your foot it's physically impossible even if you're very supple and you can get your foot up to you you need two feet to hold your foot and you need two feet to two hands sorry you need two hands to hold your feet and another two hands to work nobody I know has got four hands not that I've noticed, no. Not, not, not that I've noticed. So 
it's important that you go to a podiatrist because A, we trained in it, B, we skilled in it, and C, we can sit facing the sole of your foot and know what we're doing. Now, if people are in an area, possibly around the country, where there aren't any podiatrists, can they go to a GP? Would they be able to help? You probably find most GPs are not going to have the skill necessary. Some will have. Um, in a lot of areas where there aren't podiatrists, uh, in your country areas, your GPs are actually very skilled in, at multitasking and they can do a wide range of things. But uh, if you're in an area where there isn't, there isn't a podiatrist and you really need one, make a journey. Go to one of the bigger centers, get to a podiatrist, get it, get it, treat, get it treated, get it seen. Right, as we mentioned earlier, just as a sort of a roundup at the end now, you mentioned what age to start taking your children initially for just for the initial checkup. Age what? Age between three and, five. three and five. Just take them for an assessment, get something placed on record. You may not need to see the podiatrist again for years, but start there. And then as you get older, people involved in sport, go get your feet checked. As we had Beatrice who was running and obviously that's something you you need to keep. Are you in the right shoes? Are you getting the right advice on footwear? Um, Everybody stands and walks on their feet and your feet, you know, they estimate that you walk around the earth one and a half times during your life. Wow. In a normal sedentary person's walking 3,000 to 5,000 footsteps a day. So there's no engineering thing. There's nothing that engineering can make that's as, as amazing as the human foot. And it's most bizarre that we use them so much. I mean, All day, every day. don't look after them as much as we should. We no. look after everything else, but we sort of almost dismiss that's our feet. Absolutely. A lot of them. But we're the first to moan if they're sore. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the first to you know, sort of... You know, my feet are killing me is a standard mm. you know, call. Yeah. But it, sh- it should be a call to arms. And not to arm yourself with a scalpel, but to no, go to the podiatrist and get it looked after definitely properly. Definitely not. So it's sort of from the from sort of teenage, sort of sort of up until about fifty odd. How often should we be going to visit the podiatrist? About once a year, but if you know on a on an when necessary basis, you know some people will need to be seen more often. Various conditions will come up. People will get to know their feet, but go and see the podiatrist a few times from the age of say three and five. Obviously, parents will take you. When you get into your early 20s, just go get your feet seen. Know that there's nothing wrong with them and it's okay to carry on doing what you're doing for a period of time. But World Health, World Health Organization says 75% of people will need to see a podiatrist at least once in their lifetime. And as we said, you know, it doesn't necessarily, if you possibly have a back issue or some other problem and they can't mm. find anything else wrong with yeah. you, Go and have your feet checked out. You never know. That's it. It may be the cause of the problems that you've been living with for years. And also the thing that I found most most interesting at the beginning, you were talking about all these other conditions mm. that you could possibly pick up from the problems with your feet. Absolutely. So, you know, it's, it's as you said, the hip bones connected to the whatever, mm. and the feet seem to be almost the, the starting point. Very often a mirror of, of mm. the health of a person is what's going on at their foot level. Well, Sean, it's surely certainly been a very interesting evening, and I certainly hope you'll be able to join us again sometime. Thank you. I hope to come along again Well, soon. thank you very much for your time this evening. My thanks once again this evening to Sean Pincus. He's the Western Cape Branch Chairperson of the Podiatry Association of South Africa, and he's been my guest on tonight's edition of Health Matters. If you need any inf- information on podiatry or you'd like to find a podiatrist in your area, you can contact the Podiatry Association of South Africa. You can call them on 86 that's 86 or take a look at the website. It's www.podiatry.com. 
www.healthmatters.co.za. Well, if you have any questions about something you've heard on the show this evening, you can email me on healthmatters at safm.co.za or take a look at the Facebook page, which is Health Matters on SAFM. And don't forget, there's a list of available documents on the Facebook page as well. Well, that's it for Health Matters for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me. And I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening, just after nine, with time to travel.